Well, as you probably gathered, we're talking about relationships over the next couple of weeks. And so we're, we're just talking about what it looks like to have a healthy relationship. And what we recognize, what you probably already recognize, is that all of us have relationships. All of us have them. And some of them are really good. And some of them are not so good, right? Like some of them are kind of bad. Some of them are messy at times. Some of them are frustrating at times. And so we said over the next couple of weeks, if we can help all of us walk into our relationships differently, walk into those conflicts that we have, because again, not all relationships are, are good and healthy, and so there is conflict in those relationships. And so if we can, do, if we can walk into that and just gather some rules that would maybe help us to, to connect with people better. We thought that would be really helpful, and so that's what we're looking to do over the next five weeks. We're just looking to, to walk into what it looks like to have healthy conflict. Because again, we know that all relationships have conflict. We know that all relationships have issues because of something that we call, and here in church we call it sin. Right? And so, so all of us are sinners. All of us have sinned. All of us live in a world that is broken by sin. And so since all of us have that sin, all of us live in this world of sin, there's conflict, there's issues, there's struggles. And so we're going to hopefully walk through what it looks like to deal with those better. And here's my promise to you. I promise that if you will take over the next several weeks these principles that we're talking about, and if you will actually truthfully, honestly apply them to your life, I promise you that your marriage will be a little bit healthier. I promise you that the relationships you have with work, even, even that guy that kind of gets under your skin, like even that relationship, it'll be a little bit better. That your kids, if they're frustrating you, the interactions you have with them will be healthier. They will be better. Like, I promise you, if you apply these over the next couple of weeks, this will help your relationships. They will be healthier. So, with that being said, here's what I want to ask you to do. I have three things that I really want to challenge you to do. And here's the first one. I want you to commit to be here. There's four more weeks of this series. Commit to be here. Be here for the next four weeks. Make sure that you're here so that you can hear all of these principles, all of these rules, and how that applies and how that works out in your relationships. Now, you may wake up with a fever next week, 102. We don't want you here. So that being said, you can listen to our podcast if there's a legitimate reason you can't be here. But if, there's, if you can, you need to be here. The second thing would be this. Show up at small group. If you're in a small group, a lot of our small groups use the sermons as their discussion. And, and so you need to talk about this in your small group. That's where some of the, the, the details of this will really be worked out. And so make sure you go to your small group. And then the third one is this, bring somebody with you. This is one of those series that doesn't just apply to you if you're a Christian. If, if you're only, you know, it's not just for, for only Christians because the, the Bible talks about so many principles are about relationships. And so this will apply to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're following Jesus yet. It doesn't matter if you figured out the whole Jesus thing. You're kind of still questioning. That's fine. These principles will still apply, and they will still make your relationships better. So bring somebody with you. They will find this beneficial. Now, it is a little tricky because you've got to take them a card and say, hey, we're talking about conflict at church. We really think you would be good for, that'd be good for you, right? So that's a little tricky, but, but I really, I, I do believe this will help them uh, and you over the next couple weeks. So there's my, there's my, uh, challenges for you so that we jump into this series and this will be the most beneficial for all of us if you can follow those challenges. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you all five rules right up front, okay? I want you to know all five rules because over the next couple of weeks we're going we're gonna to go over them time and time again each week so that by the time the series is over hopefully you know all of them. 
And so this week, we're going to start with rule number one, and here's that one. It says, it's not about winning. It's not about winning. That's rule number one, okay? So we're going to talk more about that today. Uh, Rule number two, own your part. Own your part. Rule number three, apologize. Rule number four, gently confront. And then rule number five, forgive. These are the five rules for conflict. Five rules for conflict. I promise you, they maybe don't make sense yet, but as we walk through them, I really believe they will be helpful. So rule number one, it's not about winning. That's what we're going to talk about today. And to help us understand this idea, we have to understand that sinful people respond sinfully when they're sinned against. Sinful people respond sinfully when they're sinned against. Okay, so, so the rule number one is it's not about winning. And we recognize it's not about winning, but here's the problem. Because you're sinful and because I'm sinful, when somebody sins against me or just hurts me even, my response is typically sinful as well. And when I respond sinfully, it becomes about winning. When I respond sinfully, it's, it's because, man, I'm going to win this argument. Or, man, I'm going to make them feel bad for winning this argument because I'm going I'm to be, become quiet, I'm reserved, I'm going to pull back from the relationship. Like, it becomes about winning. And so we have to recognize that sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. Now, you already know this. I already know this. Because when somebody flips me off in the park, you know, park way, right, you know what my response is? I want to flip them off too, right? Like, you do the same thing. Don't look at me like that. Like, like you have the same response. You're like, oh, they did not just do that. Like, like you're frustrated about it. But when someone says something bad to you, when they talk smart to you or they, they use sarcasm, you want to shoot it right back at them, right? We know that sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. That, that's just what we do. It's ingrained inside of us because all of us are broken. All of us are fallen. Our nature is sinful, And so sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. We know that. That's why if you have kids, we have two. Two and four. Three and four now. Um, Three and four. And so when when Brielle has a toy, I had to remember, sorry. Uh, When Brielle has a toy and Kaylin takes it from her, Brielle doesn't go, oh, that's all right. No big deal. There's tons of other toys. There's a hundred other toys in the house I can go play with. No, no, no. They want the same toy, and so Brielle takes it back, right? Or, or Brielle hits her because she took it. Or Brielle comes running to mom and dad and says, she took my toy because she responds sinfully and sinned against. That's what we do. That's what your kids do. That's what my kids do. If you have a spouse and they don't treat you the way that you think you should be treated, you tend to lash out. Either you withdraw or you get mad and you yell or get angry or lash out in some way. Like, that's what we do. Why? Because sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against That's what it looks like in relationships. But if we're going to understand that it's not about winning, rule number one, that it's not about winning, we have to recognize that our reactions are not always right. In fact, we have to be able to recognize our reactions and then do the opposite of what we typically naturally would do. And so all of us have responses. All of us have this desire to win. Again, because sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. And and so we have this desire in us. And so let me walk into a passage of Scripture. Hopefully this will help us understand that all of us have this. If you don't believe this already, maybe you will as we walk through this. But in Romans chapter 12, so if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 18. But Romans chapter 12, verse 18, 
So Paul is writing, he's writing to this group of individuals in the city of Rome, and Rome is one of those places that, that there's a lot of conflict. Let's just be honest, Rome had a ton of conflict. Uh, people did not like Christians, they blamed Christians for a lot of things. Uh, there were a lot of false gods, there was idol worship, I mean, tons of things going on there. There's conflict. And so Paul is writing to the church there in Rome, and in verse 18 of chapter 12, here's what he tells them. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So let's dive into that. First, if it is possible. That implies that it is not always possible to live at peace. That implies that there are times that you will not be able to find peace. Now, you should be able to find peace from your side, but you cannot control somebody else's response to you. And so you, if you've done everything right, that's the second part of the verse, as far as it depends on you, so as long as you've done everything right, there will be times where you have to say, okay, this relationship just didn't work. This relationship is not working. I have tried everything I can. I have put forth every effort on my part. I have been godly on my part. It didn't work. Okay, so at times that will happen. But even when that is the case, as far as it depends on you, he says, live at peace with everyone. As much as it is possible, it is our job as followers of Jesus, to live at peace with everybody. Now, this is really important as we think about the book of Romans. The, the book or the letter of Romans was written to this group of believers, again, in the city of Rome. And, and the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are very doctrinal. They're highly doctrinal. He just tells us about who we are in Christ. He tells us about our identity. He tells us about what salvation truly is and how that works. I mean, he walks through all of that. He talks about sin and, and how to defeat sin and, and, and our sin natures. I mean, he talks through all of that for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And then in chapter 12, there's a transition. So in chapter 12, he transitions and he begins to talk about how that practically plays out. And so he talks about how practically, as followers of Jesus now, because of our doctrine, because of who we are in Jesus, because of our identity, because of our sin natures that, that can be overcome through the power of Christ, all of these things, because of that, now we live a certain way. And so in chapter 12, he even starts out with these big principles. And he says, uh, in verse 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so these verses, they're great verses. And, and Paul writes these, and they're big principle verses. He's talking about, you know, be, don't be conformed. Allow your mind to be transformed, to live a certain way. You know, he's talking through all of that. But then the rest of chapter 12, he gets into the nitty-gritty of what that looks like. And what Paul does for the remaining five chapters of the book of Romans is he talks about relationships. Essentially, he is saying this, that, that your relationships are the outworking of the gospel in your life. In other words, the way you are in your relationships, the way you are with, with conflict, the way you deal with people really shows how much the gospel is true in your life. How much the doctrine from chapters 1 through 11 really affects the way you live. And so he wants us to know, and he talks 100% about relationships for the rest of this book, he wants us to know that how we deal with relationships shows the real fruit of the gospel in our lives. And so that's where we step into this verse, to verse 18. And he says, if it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And it's almost as if he, he can read our minds because then he says or, or maybe anticipates what we would say. You know, I read a verse like that and you read a verse like that. Maybe you think, you know, Paul, do you know what they did to me? Paul, do you know how they responded to me? Paul, do you understand the way they treated me? And so he says in verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, don't repay him even for evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He says, yeah, 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 I know they did something wrong. I know they hurt you, but it is not your job to repay evil with evil. It's not your job to seek revenge. It is your job, as much as it is possible, to live at peace with everybody. As much as it depends on you to live at peace with everyone. And then he continues on. He says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's verse 19. And so he gives us these negatives. He says, okay, as much as it is possible, live at peace. Here's what you shouldn't do. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't take revenge. And then he even gives us the positives. On the other side of what this would look like, verse 20 says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then he summarizes this whole thing with one verse. He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul says, look, look, you've got to understand, as you deal with relationships, as you allow the power of Jesus to work in your life, as you become a different person, as you deal with people differently, you need to know that, number one, it should affect the way you have conflict. It should affect the way you have conflict because your job is to pursue peace as much as possible. Your job, as much as it is possible, is to get along with people. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a doormat. That doesn't mean that people walk all over you. No, 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 none of that. But that means you have to have healthy conflict. You've got to deal with it properly. You've got to have those conversations. You've got to work through what conflict looks like. And we're going to talk more about that over the next couple weeks as well. But he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, so back to rule one. It's not about winning. Because we know that sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against, we have to step back from our conflicts. When somebody sins against us or even just hurts us, our natural response is going to be to attack or to withdraw, one or the other. Our natural response is going to be to fight or to flight, right? That, you've probably heard those terms before, fight or flight. That's going to be our natural response. And so if we're going to deal with conflict properly, we have to understand how we typically respond. And so we have to watch or rethink your reactions. Okay, we have to rethink your reactions. Now, this is going to get a little bit uh, medical for a moment, but, but I think this will be helpful, okay? This is how your body was created to respond. Okay, so I'm going to read to you a couple, a couple paragraphs from an article that talks about the biological responses that you have during conflict or that we have during conflict. You'll recognize some of these things, I'm certain. In fact, you're going to be tempted to elbow the people next to you probably, but try to reserve and keep those elbows tucked, okay? Um, but here's what it says. Here's what, when, when you deal with conflict, here's some of the things that are going to happen. 
When anything happens that is perceived as a threat or a potential threat, your brain sends a message to your adrenal glands. And this begins a process involving a number of hormones, including adrenaline, whose purpose is to prepare the body for a vigorous emergency action, okay? So, so your brain sends signals, your hormones kick in, and these things begin to happen within your body. Here's what happens. Non-essential processes are switched off. In other words, if your body is digesting food, that is stopped, and the person may notice this churning or butterflies in their stomach. Have you ever felt that? Maybe when you're about to get in a fight or, or in the middle of a conflict. Uh, your liver then will release glucose into your bloodstream for the purpose of giving maximum strength to the muscles. Oxygen is going to be needed to burn that glucose, so your breathing will increase under the stress, and you may notice feeling breathless. Having glucose and oxygen in your bloodstream, the body then needs to get it to the muscles as soon as possible because, again, this is a life-or-death situation in your mind, at least. So your heart begins beating far faster, and some people notice palpitations. Your blood pressure rises, and some people will notice feeling hot or cold, even breaking into a sweat and the body seeks to, as the body seeks to dissipate the heat that will be generated by the vigorous muscular activity for which the body is preparing. Uh, becoming ready for instant action, the muscles become tense, and the person may notice shaking or restless fidgeting. Uh, the pattern continues, if the pattern continues long enough, you'll have chronic headaches or a backache may even result. And as this is happening in your body, there's two things that change in the brain. First, your reflexes are sped up, and at, at the same time, so is the thinking, and some will notice racing thoughts. Maybe you've experienced that as well with conflict. The second thing, the blood supply from your frontal parts of your brain, which are responsible for higher levels of reasoning, are reduced and it's hard to think straight. The blood supply is increased to parts of the brain responsible for automatic, instinctive, or impulsive decision-making. That's why under stress, you're more prone to impulsive behavior, which you will probably regret later. So, so that is what happens physically, medically speaking at least. Like, th this is the response of our body. And, and you probably, if you've ever been in a fight, maybe, maybe relationally or actually physically in a fight, you recognize some of these things happening. You get the, the butterflies and, and your, your heart starts racing, you're breathing harder, you're, you know, all of that happens. Physically, that's what happens. Spiritually, this is what sinful people, when sinned against, this is how they respond sinfully. Like all of these things begin to happen and this is the process through which we typically respond sinfully because all of our thinking has been affected. We can't critically think anymore because we're ready for a fight. Our body is responding in that way. That's why when you're in an argument with your wife and you think it's a great idea to, to give that sarcastic comment back, that's where this comes from, right? Like you think, oh man, that's a great comment. Not so much. And sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. So, so that is what actually happens. We, you probably have heard it called by other things. Things like this, fight or flight, dig in or give in, violence or silence, blow up or clam up. All of us have a natural inclination to one side or the other. Typically, you respond one way or the other. Either you want to fight you, you want to get into it, you're going to win it, or you withdraw. You pull back, you, you, you get quiet. And in fact, there's a couple things that happen here. This, this may sound a little um, heady, but, but some of this information is really helpful as we think about our conflict. 
with escape responses, the, the flight responses. Typically, this is the process through which it happens. You have denial. You know, some smart aleck comment is said, something, is, something happens, something is done, but you just act like it doesn't happen. And from the outside, if you see that happen in a relationship, you're like, didn't she hear, what, what is, you know, it's really weird, right? It's just odd. You think, why is she just ignoring that? Or why is he just ignoring that? Like, that doesn't make sense. That's an escape response. That's denial. There's an inward stewing. You probably do this. I do this all the time. You get off the phone, you have a conversation with someone, and you're like, oh, I should have said that. That would have made it so out of one. And then you think about it, and you run through that conversation over and over and over again in your head. And, and in your head, you always win, right? And then you have the conversation, and it doesn't go like that. Like, but that's that inward stewing. This is that escape response. You may have a temporary flight where you leave the situation or you leave the room, and that is fine. That is normal. In fact, there may be a time where it is best to step away for a few minutes, but that's a temporary flight isn't always bad. If you're going to lose your cool and hit somebody or, or do something like that, that I mean, obviously step away for a little bit, but, but you have to come back to the conversation. Temporary flight shouldn't last more than 24 hours. You need to come back in and deal with that conflict. You can have this permanent flight where you quit a job, you get a divorce, you quit being friends with somebody, you change churches, you leave, whatever. There's this permanent flight. And then the ultimately, escape response, the ultimate escape would be suicide. You can't run further than death. And so this ultimate escape response is suicide. It's the most severe method of escape. And it's also the number three killer of teenagers today. They tend to escape through suicide. And so then you have these attack responses on the opposite side. They, they line up. You have this manipulation. If you get into a conflict and, and, and somebody is a manipulative person, they can outthink you, they can outtalk you, they can outscream you, whatever, but it's, they're just manipulating the conversation. That's an attack response. Verbal assault, you know, swearing, yelling, belittling, things like that. Litigation, that's a form of suing somebody to bend them to your will. Uh, physical assault, touching someone, hurting them, pushing a friend or hitting a child, uh, grabbing your spouse out of anger, physical assault. And then ultimately, just like the, the ultimate escape response is suicide, the ultimate attack response would be murder. And so all of us tend towards one side or the other. With escape responses, we typically use them when you're more interested in avoiding a conflict than resolving it. That's typically what an escape response is for. An attack response is typically used when someone's more interested in winning a fight than preserving a relationship. So again, all of us have these within us. As you get into a conflict, as you get into an argument, as you get into a fight, like these things happen inside of you. Your body begins to respond, and you respond either with escape or attack. But Paul says, if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so Paul tells us we have to rethink our natural reactions. These are the things that happen naturally, but, but we don't have to succumb to them. Just because that's how you were created doesn't mean you have to give in to those responses. You don't have to give in to those reactions. That's why it's not about winning. And so our job as followers of Jesus is to pursue peace. That's what Paul tells us to do, to pursue peace. 
Typically, attack responses just escalate the problem. And typically, escape responses don't resolve the conflict. So they're not helpful in the conflict. They may be the natural thing that your body tends to tend towards or run toward, but they aren't helpful. And so we have to rethink those, push away from them, and then pursue peace. But peace is something that doesn't just happen. Peace has to be made. You you see, you have to come back to that conversation. You actually have to deal with the conflict. And how we do that is important. And so that's why this first step is that we have to not be concerned about winning. It's not about winning. If we come into the conflict thinking, I got to win, we've already lost. Because we're going to run to one of our two escape response, or one of our two responses, either escape or attack. And Paul says, no, no, no. Make it about peace. It has to be about peace. And so you reject your natural responses to conflict. And then the second thing we do to pursue peace and and to make it not about winning, is you have to ask yourself a question. You have to ask yourself, if my goal is to please God, what do I need to do right now? If my goal is to please God, what do I do right now? I'm in the middle of a conflict. But what do I need to do if I really want to please God? Is it escape? Is it attack? Well, probably not. We're going to turn from those reactions, and we're going to try to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, So we make it our goal to please Him. It is our goal, and every conflict that we have is an opportunity to please God. Every conflict we have actually is an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Because each and every conflict typically points out something inside of us that isn't right. When we get into those conflicts, it points out a pride, it points out a struggle, it points out an insecurity, it points out things inside of us. And so God actually uses conflict in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We need conflict. It's healthy to have that conflict because it brings out those areas that we are wrong. And so the first rule is it's not about winning. It can't be about winning Because sinful people respond sinfully when sinned against. And so the more about winning it is, the more sinful you respond, and you will fall to whatever one of those two responses you have. Whether it's an attack response or an escape response, but you will jump into that because that is what's natural to you. And then it will become about winning. So you have to pursue peace, and you've got to ask the question, what do I need to do right now to please God? In this conflict, what do I have to do right now to please God? So when your boss has unreasonable expectations and humiliates you publicly, your natural response is going to be to attack him or it's going to be internally to stew about it. But you have to step back and ask, what is it that I have to do right now to please God? When your spouse hurts you or neglects you, your tendency might be to withdraw. But you can't do that. Your relationships are too important. You have to to step into the conflict. But you have to do it in a way that pleases God. And we're going to talk more about what exactly that looks like over the next couple weeks. But to start, really the two things I think we have to focus on is what is your response? You need to know. 
You need to understand, typically I am an attack response person. Typically I'm an escape response person. So what is your response? How do you normally do that? Because until you identify how you respond, you can't respond differently, right? So you have to identify that. And then the second thing we have to do is we have to pursue peace. And so we have to understand what does it look like to please God? How do I make pleasing God my priority goal? Because Paul says, as far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So next week, we're going to go into rule number two. Rule number two is that you have to own your part. And next week, we're going to discover this. We're going to discover the cause of every conflict that you've ever had. So you make sure you come back for next week as well. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today knowing that, that we have conflict. That there's conflict in our lives. That there's conflict in our relationships. We know that as we meet people, as we work with people, as we drive even, that there's conflict. And God, we know that there are certain things that trigger that, but we just want to pray, God, that you would help us to respond differently when that conflict arises. I pray that you'd help us this week to, to identify how we, how we respond to conflict, whether that's escaping or attacking. But God, make it really clear so that we can begin to make different decisions to move away from our natural responses. And then God, I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to please you even in the middle of conflict. What does it look like in each individual situation of our life if our primary goal, our priority goal is to please you? God, help us know what that means. Help us not get carried away to respond sinfully, even though we know that sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. God, we don't want to do that. We want to respond like Jesus. So give us the strength this week as we walk into the conflicts that are around us to respond properly. We pray this in your name.